to this edition of Back to Basics with Pastor Brian Broderson. God is on the throne. And so are we resting in Him? Am I resting in Him? Are you resting in His finished work upon the cross? Are you resting in that Jesus did everything that needed to be done to secure your salvation? You don't need to add to it. You can't add to it. Are you resting in what He did for you? Are you resting in His ability to preserve you in the storm? Today on Back to Basics, Pastor Brian continues his study in the book of Genesis. Join us as Pastor Brian concludes his teaching on Genesis, chapters 6 through 9, in a message titled, Noah, the Ark, and Christ. Now, here's Pastor Brian. Just as the Ark was a place of absolute security, so Christ is a place of absolute security. You are absolutely secure in Christ. Nothing can happen to you. No judgment can come your way. There's no way you can get lost. You're in Christ. As Paul, in in speaking to the Colossians, he says, regarding our life, he says, your life is hidden in Christ with God. So that's where our life is. And when Christ, who is our life, shall appear, we shall then also appear with him in glory. So we have that same kind of security that, that Noah had being preserved and guarded and kept through the flood of judgment, so we are being preserved, guarded, and kept. Remember what Jesus said? He said regarding his sheep, my sheep hear my voice, I know them, they follow me, I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish, nor shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. My Father who gave them to me is greater than all, and no one can snatch them from my Father's hand. Do you realize tonight the security that you have in Christ? Many Christians live in fear. Many Christians live with anxiety that, you know, maybe somehow they're, they're not going to make it. You know, it's easy sometimes. You look at yourself and you think, <laughs> you know, I'm terrible. I'm disgusting. I, I've been a Christian for so long and I still have all of these blemishes spiritually. I still have a bad attitude a lot of times. I'm still unthankful. I can still get mean. I can still argue with my wonderful wife who should never be argued with. (laughs) You know, sometimes, you know, in just looking at yourself honestly, you just think, Lord, I, I could understand if at a certain point you just said, I'm tired of it, (laughs) you know? Sorry, you you didn't make it. But to know the, the wonderful truth that we're in Christ. And although we might see that regarding ourselves and all those other, others might look at us and see those things as well, you know how God sees us when he looks at us? He sees us in Christ. And as Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter one, verse six, he says, you remember there, he says that you have been made accepted in the beloved. I am so glad that when God looks at me, he doesn't see me, he sees Jesus. And with the acceptance that that Christ has before the Father, I have that same acceptance. You have that same acceptance. That's the security that we have. As Jesus said, 
I give them eternal life. They shall never perish. He's got us. Just as Noah was secure in the ark and God brought him through the flood onto the other side, so we are secure in Christ. Fourthly, the ark foreshadowed redemption through the blood of Christ. Now, here's an interesting thing that I noticed. Remember when Adam and Eve sinned, and you remember their attempt to cover their sin was through putting on uh, the fig leaves. They, They tried to cover their own sin. And you remember what God did? The fig leaves were unacceptable. The fig leaves did not cover their sin. So what did God do? It says that God provided them coats of skin. And what's being implied there is that animals were slain. A death occurred and blood was shed. And I think most biblical scholars would agree that that is indeed what is being spoken of there. And we know later on in the story, you remember we talked about Cain and Abel. You remember Abel brings uh, an offering that's acceptable to God. Cain brings one that's unacceptable. What does Cain bring? Cain brings the fruit of the ground. What does Abel bring? He brings a lamb. Abel understood that there needed to be the shedding of blood. This was the thing that had to to be a factor in acceptance with God. But you know, looking at Noah and looking at the ark, now after the flood, we know that Noah offered sacrifice, but I don't remember reading anything about sacrifice prior to the flood. And as far as we can see, even though Noah was saved from judgment and from death, there didn't seem to be at that point, any any shedding of blood in order to secure him against the judgment. But here's a very interesting thing. The word translated pitch, remember, you're to pitch the ark on the inside and on the outside. The word translated pitch is the Hebrew word kafar. And, And this is really astounding. This word simply means to cover. The word is found 101 other times in the Old Testament, and the majority of times that word is translated to make atonement. This is the only time it's translated pitch, the only time. Most of the other times to make atonement, sometimes it's to make reconciliation, sometimes it translates the word redemption, translates into the word redemption. But again, this is where the picture, this is where the typology comes in. The pitch, although serving the practical purpose of waterproofing the ark, symbolically spoke of the blood that was necessary to make atonement for the soul. I believe that that is exactly why that word is used. The amazing thing is there is another Hebrew word that is commonly used for pitch or that sort of a substance, and the word's not used here. But it is the word that is translated so often to make atonement. This same picture, this same picture would appear later with the Israelites in Egypt. You remember how they were instructed by God to place the blood of the Passover lamb above their doors, and thereby they would be spared God's judgment upon the firstborn. And so a, a, little, a little fuller of a picture in, at the time of the Exodus, 
but nevertheless, it's the same kind of a thing that's being communicated. These pictures pointed ultimately to Christ, to Christ who would once and forever cover our sins with his own blood and save us from God's fiery indignation and wrath against sin. Of course, this whole idea of, of blood for atonement, it is, it's consistently communicated all throughout the Old Testament. The whole sacrificial system was essentially communicating that one thing. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin, said uh, the author of the epistle to the Hebrews, going back to Leviticus 17.11, where God says that he's given the blood on the altar The life is in the blood. He's given the blood on the altar because it's blood that makes atonement for the soul. So the whole of the Old Testament is is really painting this picture of the absolute necessity of the shedding of blood for sin to be forgiven. And then, of course, what happens when we come to the New Testament? Everything culminates in Jesus Christ. All of those animal sacrifices, all of those offerings that took place on a daily basis that the priests were offering, all of the different feasts and so forth, all the way down to the Day of Atonement, all of these things were pointing ahead to Jesus, who you remember as we consider tonight, who on the night that he was betrayed, he took that cup. And what did he say? He said, this is my blood of the new covenant which is shed for the remission of sin. And all the way through the New Testament, several times over, we find the same thing being repeated. Paul says in writing to the Romans, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God set for as a propitiation through his blood. And again, having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him, having been justified by his blood, he says. In Ephesians, Paul says, in him we have redemption through his blood. And then he says, you who were once afar off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. And then in Hebrews, it says, with his own blood, he entered the most holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. And then again in Hebrews, how much more shall the blood of Christ who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God cleanse your conscience? And then again in Hebrews, therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus. And then Peter says, you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver and gold from your vain lifestyle, but how were you redeemed? You were redeemed with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb slain without blemish. And then John tells us that it's the blood of Jesus Christ, God's son, that cleanses us from all sin. And then in Revelation, Jesus is spoken of as he who loved us and washed us from our sins in his blood. And then it refers to the saints. They washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the lamb. And then finally, and the saints overcame the serpent, the devil, Satan. How? By the blood of the lamb. God said to Noah, pitch it inside and out. And that pitch was a picture of the blood of Christ that would cover 
sin and protect people from the wrath and the judgment to come. There are several other things that we could probably point to. Some of them, I like the typology, but sometimes I feel that some people stretch it a little too far. And in looking at all the different possibilities as I was studying, there were, there were a few that, you know, it sounded okay, but you know, it was a, it was a bit far-fetched. But all the way, as I said, all the way through the scripture, and of course, as we carry on in Genesis and as we make uh, the, the trek through the Bible as we do, we, these things will, will come up over and over and over again. But let me say this. Not only was the ark a type of Christ, I think that we can say that Noah was also a type of Christ. I mean, think about it. It was through Noah that the whole human race was saved. That only consisted of seven other people. Uh, but that was it. That was the human race. That, that group of people would be the people that would repopulate the earth and bring us ultimately to where we are today with six and a half billion people. And so in, in a sense, it was through Noah that, that the human race was perpetuated. The human race was saved from destruction. So in that, you see sort of a picture of Christ. But there's another way in which Noah, I think, is a type of Christ. Maybe you remember as we read through the fifth chapter, the name Noah means rest. Noah was, of course, named by his father, named rest. And his father said this, Regarding Noah, he said, this one will comfort us concerning our work and the toil of our hands. Now, I, I don't think that had that just simply been wishful hoping on the part of Lamech that it would have been recorded in scripture. I believe that what Lamech was doing there was prophesying. Noah was named what he was named because he was a picture. Now, it, it doesn't seem to me, at least from the biblical text, all that we know about Noah, doesn't seem that what Lamech said regarding him necessarily occurred in his lifetime. I mean, he might have been a tremendous blessing to his parents and, you know, all of that. We, we don't know any of the details of that. And maybe you could stretch it and say, well, you know, coming through the judgment and then coming out on the other side and, and life beginning to start over and, you know, it would have been restful and it would have been peaceful. You know, maybe there's something there. But I think that, I think that it's a prophecy that goes further down. And I think what this actually is referring to is the fact that the messianic line would pass now through Noah. Remember back in the very beginning when Adam and Eve sinned, you remember God says to the serpent that he's going to put enmity between the woman and um, and, him, and the serpent and between uh, her seed and the seed of the serpent. And so from, from right there, Genesis 3.15, we have that first promise of a redeemer, a savior, a deliverer that's going to come. And then as we make our way through the scriptures, everything is marching toward the fulfillment of that. You remember Eve thought that Cain was gonna be the one, but Cain turned out to be wicked. And not only uh, was he wicked, but he slew his brother who potentially could have been the one to carry the line along because he was righteous. 
But then we read that another child was born, Seth. And in those days, men began to call upon the Lord. But now we come to Noah. And at the birth of Noah, and remember the flood doesn't take place for 600 years. But at the birth, his father senses something, and so he names him Rest, saying that it's through this one that we're going to be comforted concerning our work and the toil of our hands. I believe that he's talking about Noah being the ancestor of the Messiah. And so the promise would pass through Noah to Shem, and then from Shem on to Abraham, from Abraham to Isaac and to Jacob, and then from Jacob to Judah, from Judah to Jesse, from Jesse to David, from David to Nathan, and from Nathan down to Jesus, of whom it was written. Listen to this glorious prophecy concerning Jesus. In that day, there shall be a root of Jesse who shall stand as a banner to the people, for the Gentiles shall seek him, and listen, and his resting place will be glorious. His resting place, Noah, rest. And here the prophet Isaiah, he speaks of this glorious resting place that will come through this descendant of Noah. And when he came, speaking of Jesus, you remember what he said? I love these words, and I know you do too. He said, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I will give you rest. You see, Noah was a picture. He, he himself, and that's what the, the types are. As I said initially, the types are sometimes events, sometimes they're people, sometimes they're things. And in this particular case, we see both the ark as a type, but we see that Noah is also a type of Christ. Jesus says, I will give you rest. And then you know the rest of the verse. He says, take my yoke upon you and learn of me for I am meek and humble in heart and you shall find rest for your souls. And I think that's a great word for us tonight, don't you? Rest. Because we live in a restless world. We live in a tumultuous world. We live in a chaotic world. But Jesus said, Take my yoke upon you, learn of me. I am meek and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Noah was a type of Christ in that he pointed to the rest those who believe in Jesus would experience. And here's the question, are you resting in him? You know, it's a wonderful thing that we can do that. You know, it's not irresponsible. Don't feel bad if you're not stressed out. You can, it's okay. <laughs> It's enough people in the world to be stressed out. You don't need to contribute to it. But, you know, sometimes I think as Christians, we almost feel bad, like, well, I should be worried about everything because everybody else is worried. No, that's the whole point. We don't have to worry about it. Why? Because we're resting in Christ. Has Jesus lost control of anything? Is God off the throne? Does he not know what's happening? Remember that Bible program that used to be on the radio years ago and the guy would come on with kind of a southern drawl and he would begin with, God is on the throne and prayer changes things. <laughs> you know, that's a good reminder. It's true. God is on the throne. And so are we resting in him? Am I resting in him? Are you resting in his finished work upon the cross? 
Are you resting in that Jesus did everything that needed to be done to secure your salvation? You don't need to add to it. You can't add to it. Are you resting in what he did for you? Are you resting in his ability to preserve you in the storm? Maybe you're in a storm tonight. Maybe the waves are crashing against the boat and maybe you're feeling a little bit like, you never know, I I might go under. Remember, the disciples were in a situation like that on one occasion. They were crossing the Sea of Galilee and a great storm came upon the sea and Jesus was asleep there in the boat and it seemed to them that the boat was about to sink. But remember what Jesus had said to them? He said, let's go over to the other side. And that's God's plan for you. He's going to take you over. He's not going to let you go under. We, we can rest in him even in the storms because we know that at any given second, as he did on that boat, Jesus stood up and he can stand up tonight and he can say, peace, be still. He can calm the whole thing in an instant. And if he doesn't calm it, then he just wants to have you rest in the fact that he's going to You're going to ride out the storm and you're going to be fine. Are you resting in his promises to give you a future and a hope? That's his promise. Remember what he said? I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord, thoughts of good, not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. Maybe things aren't going so well for you. Maybe you've got a crisis in your family. Maybe financially everything's just going down the tubes and you think, what what about the future? Well, here's the great news. God has a future for you. He has a glorious future. Cheryl and I talked to a lady today who after 30 years of marriage, her husband went out and got a girlfriend, left her. Godly woman, wonderful lady, just loved the Lord. She doesn't understand. And one of the things she was expressing was, I, I never planned for this. I never thought about this. I never dreamed that I would be in this situation. What does the future hold for me? God's thoughts, his plans are good to give you a future and a hope. And as we close tonight, remember this, he is faithful who promised and he will do it. And isn't it great to know that these, even these historical events like a flood and, and, and this ark, this, this ship kind of a thing, even in something like that, there is a message to encourage us in our soul and in our spirit. And and I thank God for that. And let's remember that. And as we're in the word, let's dig a little deeper. You know, not not looking for things that aren't there, like some do, but but really legitimately looking for the things that, that really are there. And you'll be amazed at where you will find Christ and where you will find the promises of God. And now let's join Pastor Brian in the studio as he shares about this month's resource. So I want to tell you about this great book that I recently read called The Air We Breathe. And the subtitle is How We All Came to Believe in Freedom, Kindness, Progress, and Equality. And the gist of the book is that whether we know it or not, all the things that we're passionate about, like 
progress, equality, freedom, kindness, all of these things are important to us because of Christianity, because of the influence of the gospel on our culture. And people hold to these values passionately, but they don't really even know where they came from. So this book, Glenn Scribner is the author. He does a superb job in just tracing all of these things right back to where they originated in Jesus and the gospel. So the air we breathe, I highly recommend that you pick it up and read through it. I know that you're going to love it, and I know it will help you in conversation with others as well. Again, this month's resource is a book titled The Air We Breathe, How We All Came to Believe in Freedom, Kindness, Progress, and Equality by Glenn Shrivener. You can order the book The Air We Breathe by going to our website, backtobasicsradio.com. Scroll down until you see the photo of it and then click on the donate button. When you give a gift to Back to Basics, we'll send you the book The Air We Breathe by Glenn Shrivener to help you understand some of culture's most cherished values. It's our way of saying thank you for your generous support of this ministry. We'd also like to remind you that all of our other resources are waiting for you at backtobasicsradio.com or by calling our request line at 1-800-733-6443. That's 1-800-733-6443. Our desire is to encourage you in your daily walk with God. We'll continue next time with more valuable insights from Pastor Brian as we study together in the book of Genesis. Back to Basics is the preaching and teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California.